Amen. As you remain standing, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids to Children's Church up to third grade. And uh, we believe it's a big deal to be in the house of God on Sunday. Amen, church? Give them a good hand. Amen. Amen. As they go, let's pray together, all right? Lord, we recognize that this is a moment that we will not get back. So my prayer is over the next few minutes that we would worship the way the song just portrayed the lyrics as if it is all about you because nothing eternal will happen if you don't do it, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way. We praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Debbie, bring me down just, just, just a tad, okay? And I want you to take your Bible this morning, and I want you to join me in 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1, and we're going to be in a two-part series this week and next week. Next week, we're also going to be recognizing our high school and college grads so listen to me, parents. Get them in. Okay, get them in. Don't, don't let your kid miss uh, this big event and be uh, recognized by the church. Uh, and we'll have a great time. But this morning, I'm going to look at part one of a series entitled Legacy. Legacy. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. Maybe you're here and you can say, my parents left a legacy to me. But to tell you the truth, Brother Greg, it, it just wasn't a positive one. Well, I'm sorry for that. But I want to ask you, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? You'll say, my, my family, my parents maybe battled addiction. Man, I'm sorry for that and how ugly that must have appeared. But what kind of legacy do you want to live or leave? Amen? Actually, I guess live is a good word. You actually live a life that leaves, leaves a legacy. Well, this morning, I want to look at someone in Scripture. You're familiar with him. And Marcia, as the heart of worship was sung, I thought about Elijah. Because to tell you the truth, in Elijah's life, it wasn't always about God. You'll say, what do you mean? Well... He proclaimed a drought by the word of God, and it came. He called for the rain, and it came. He took on 450 prophets of Baal, called fire down from heaven, and because of that victory and the death of all of those prophets of Baal, uh, some loving lady named Jezebel and her husband, King Ahab, were set on killing him and Elijah found himself in the pit of depression and he had to be reminded that there were 7,000 prophets of, of the Lord God Jehovah that had not bowed their knee to Baal he was reminded that he wasn't by himself but there was a moment when he felt like it was all about him well, this morning, 
I want to draw our attention to 2 Kings chapter 1. But I want to lead into it. I want to wade into it through the last few verses of the previous chapter, the close of 1 Kings chapter 22, beginning with verse 51. Okay? Here we go. Now, I have called this uh, king Ahaziah, Ahaziah, Ahaziah. That's, that's closer. Okay? And the Bible says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. If anybody could say, okay, I'm checking out on how parent, parental love and parental example, it could have been Ahaziah, but it wasn't. He would simply walk in the way that he was led. The Bible says he walked in the way of his father and the way of his mother, verse 52, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Legacy. Verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now, Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I should recover from this injury. This is interesting to me how this like change. Uh, just out of the blue, God drops in the fact that this king has fallen. And if you don't hear anything I say this morning, hear this. When you take your guys off of the Lord God of Israel, the true and only God, it doesn't matter where you are or who you are, you will fall. Verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, Go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, who, Ahijah, uh, 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 when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why are you back so early? Why have you come back? And they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent us and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then the king said to them, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? You ready for this? I'm not sure you're ready for this. A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, and I believe they're talking about the king here. 
Oh, that's Elijah, the Tishbite. Then the king came up with a plan. I'm going to send a captain and 50 of his men to go to him. The Bible says he did just that. And they gave the message and says, come with us. Verse 11. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I am a man of God, let fire. Okay. Jump back to verse 10. He's already, I skipped a little bit. Go back to verse 10. He does the same thing. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came. Verse 11. A second time, another 50, another leader. Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, verse 12, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Fire came from heaven and consumed him and the 50. I love the response of the third. And he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains and 50s with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. In this passage, Elijah does not listen to what men say. He, lis he listens to what God says. And I'm telling you, folks, we've got people uh, filling your ears and your life with what they think you should be doing with your life. Do you know that sometimes we can act the very same way in the life of a church? We want everything to go our way, and we're not even listening to God. And the truth is, God's way is always better than anything we can come up with. Anything. Your greatest dream for your life will pale in comparison to what God really wants to do. You'll say, well, Brother Greg, I'm not rich and I'm not healthy and I don't live in a big home and I have a car that breaks down. What do you have to say about that, preacher? I'll tell you what I have to say about that. You ready? Get in line. Huh? The world, listen to me, folks. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you're watching. Be careful who your favorite preacher is. Because the world is throwing a mixed message to the Christian world that everything seems to go perfect when you're a Christian. And if it doesn't, you're out of the will of God. Oh, no. God will use the trials you've been through and the trials you're going through for his glory if you let him. God doesn't waste pain. He doesn't cause something to happen just to make your life miserable. God wants it to be glorified. And my prayer is that I would grow up in my Christian faith and somehow glorify him even when it doesn't go my way. And I love the, I love the fact that the third guy got it. <laughs> Hold it. Boys, we're not running in here like my other two captain friends did. And the Bible says he pleads after he kneels. He humbles himself. And then if you look at verse 13, he says, Man of God, 
please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. God says, okay, they're getting it. Elijah, you're all right. Go with them. Go with them. Here we go. Verse 16. He, 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 he finds himself in the presence of the king. He knows that they've come to get him. They don't like what he's had to say. And he says, thus says the Lord. And he repeats exactly of what he told the captains. The Bible says the king died in verse 17 according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken because he had no son. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, verse 18. Now the rest of the acts of Ahijah, which he did, are not written in the book, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Legacy. Legacy. There are two things I want you to understand as we take a step in to look at this legacy. In essence, Elijah is simply saying, is it because God is dead that you're not inquiring of him? How many of you saw the movie, God is Not Dead? Did anybody see that? We saw it on vacation several years ago when it came out. And at the very end of the movie, there's a concert. Um, is it DC Talk? Which one is uh, Michael? Newsboys. The Newsboys sing in it. And at the very end of it, they said to the audience in the crowd, if you have a cell phone, text somebody right now, God is not dead. And I did it. I did it right from the chair I was sitting in. Man, my heart was so moved by the movie, and I was reminded that God is not dead, and God can save anybody, and the Holy Spirit can draw anyone, and, and I wanted to make sure somebody knew that, that Greg Jackson believes God is not dead. Amen. Well, Ahijah was just following in his mom and dad's footsteps, and he was looking for answers in a barren wilderness that could not provide them. And if you have your outline, your notes with you this morning, I want, I want to take you down just a quick journey as we consider this thing called legacy and, and hopefully help you remind it, be reminded a little bit. The first thought is this. There are people who haven't heard the truth. And there are people who need to be reminded of the truth. Amen? So when we come together this morning, we need to recognize that there are folks in our circle who don't understand the gospel because they've really maybe never heard it clearly. I would like to say that with all of the viewing that takes place on the web, that folks really engage and are locked in, but the truth is this. The average person watches one of our messages about 12 minutes, and then they're disengaged. We're living in a culture that might know a little bit about God, but the truth is there are folks in your circle who may have never heard it explained clearly why you're even a Christian. Oh, they saw you this morning pull out of your driveway. They know you leave about the same time every week. They know you go down, down on the corner somewhere in Camden. 
You maybe have invited them to be here, but they've never heard the gospel presented clearly. The best picture of the gospel they see might be your life. There are people who haven't heard the truth. I was encouraged to read that at the Southern Baptist Convention this year, they're going to commission 68 more international missionaries. That's awesome. That's what you're part of. Who will take the gospel to the nations. A lot of those folks, when they're introduced, they can't even give their name because they're going to an undisclosed place that is hostile to Christianity. Let me tell you something this morning. They're not spoiled. You and me are. You and me are. Um, and, and let me say this. Okay? Some of you have already asked me this morning, okay, Brother Greg, with the new mask news, what are, what are we going to do as a church? We're going to do what we did from the get-go. We're going to respect everybody. Anybody want to say amen? We're going to respect everybody. That's a decision you can make when you come here. Are you with me? The good news is there are people who not only know and you have the answer in Jesus, there are many of us who need to be reminded that the false gods of the world don't have the answer to the questions. The false gods of the world don't even have the answers to the questions. And the good news is Elijah knew it. Perhaps you think the God of Israel's dead? Is that why you're doing this nonsense? Why in the world are you, are you chasing the wrong thing when right here is the truth? There are people who don't know what they're looking for. There are folks that don't know where to find what they're looking for, and they need somebody to share it with them. Now, sometimes you just don't know what you're looking for. In 28 years as your pastor, I have never been mushroom hunting. Several years ago, in my front yard, mushrooms started growing. I mean, I mean you folks act weird about mushroom hunting. I said, Gary, super, I'd rather you not come to my house at 10 o'clock with a flashlight. And he said, preacher, you're mowing down what people chase. Hey, I don't know what I'm looking for, Gary. I don't, I don't understand that. And there are some folks who just don't know where to find truth because no one's ever told them what truth is. Now, here's the way you've got to do it. You have to let your speech be seasoned with grace and salt. What are you saying, Brother Greg? You cannot hammer somebody over the head and then talk to them about grace. I remember years ago in, in Oxford, we ate after church there on the strip, and we walked out the door, and, and I heard, I thought, what is that? And then somebody was street preaching. Praise the Lord for street preachers. He was preaching the gospel. And man, he was letting these college students have it. Kelly Green sport coat and all. Folks, let me tell you something. We're living in a day where people are looking for truth. And, and this weekend at Miami with these thousands of cars coming and going, there are many who came and got a good college education, but they got nothing about Jesus Christ. They need the truth. And so do you and I need to be reminded of it. That there is a God in Israel who has what you're looking for. 
Well, Brother Greg, Romans 10, 14, how, they, how then shall they call on him on whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him on whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I don't believe the Bible is just narrowing that down to somebody who stands behind a pulpit. I believe they're talking about you and me. Sharing the hope that we have in Christ with whoever God puts in our path. And it's obvious that the king doesn't like the message. One group, bring him back. Second group, well, you heard what happened. You guys must be tougher than they were. Bring him back. Third group, recognize the power of God and at the mercy of Elijah. God says, you're all right, go, go. And Elijah stands before the king, and he says the exact same thing. You're not going to recover. You're going to die. You're going to die. Nobody wants to hear they're going to die. Nobody wants to hear they're going to die. Hebrews 9.27, the Bible says, It's appointed unto man to die once, and then the judgment. An appointment will all keep will be right on time. God is the one who controls that. You and I already have that date stenciled on our marker, ending date, if the Lord tarries. Amen? If the Lord tarries, we're all going to die. You say, Brother Greg, I don't like to hear that. I don't either. But I like to hear this, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That tells me that when I do die, I have hope over this world. The grave doesn't have the last say. Heaven can be my home because of the love of a God who is truth. Truth. Now, we've got to be careful. The society in which we live in does not cause us to drift from the truth. Truth. Drifting is passive. Obedience is a decision. Drifting is passive. Obedience is a decision, and then a decision that leads to action. It's a choice you make. Well, when you drift, you do nothing. You do nothing. I don't advise this, but sometimes you can let go of the wheel, steering wheel. And you'll recognize that your car needs alignment. I don't, listen to me. Teenagers don't be doing this on the way home. Okay? But we can drift and not even know we're doing it. We can move and not even know we're moving. You can drift and you're, you drift when you're unaware of your surroundings. You don't have an absolute point to go back to. You can drift when you're not concerned about the power of the pull. And we're in a culture that wants to silence truth. We're in a culture that wants to silence truth. Now, let me make something, let me clarify a statement about education. Public universities aren't bound to teach your kids the gospel. But you are. And this church is. And by the grace of God, listen, we recognize that drifting is something that t can take place when we are passive. And I'll remind you this morning, listen to me. 
Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Look at verse 3 in chapter 2. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, circle this, arise, arise, take action. Obedience leads to action. Go out to meet, the Bible says. And when you do, you're going to confront. And when you confront, you better know the truth. And when you know the truth and you confront somebody, demonstrate it by love. By love. Be compassionate. And then the king says, what kind of man was it who came up to you to meet you and told you these words? He was a hairy man. Leather belt around his waist. I almost preached this message today in camel hair. It's Elijah the Tishbite. Hey, he knew who he was. Number three, when you meet people, will they remember the conversation more than they remember how you look? Before the physical appearance, You see, it wasn't what he looked like that determined the message. It was the truth of God. God was simply using Elijah. His appearance really takes a back seat in this story. I want to remind you today that in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, John the Baptist is described as being clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and goes on to say that his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. I have a feeling if, uh, if I would have dressed in camel hair today, I may have eaten a cicada or two. Hey, get ready, folks. They're coming. They are coming. One met me at our front door yesterday. They are coming. You know, John the Baptist was considered a New Testament Elijah. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace and salt. Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The king. The king is looking for truth in the wrong place. The king reminds us as he talks to Elijah that the message is what changed the man, not the way the man looked. And God used him for his glory. Brother Greg, what do you see when you look at uh, God consuming these by fire? That uh, God doesn't play games. Elijah wasn't playing games. Elijah knew the power of God. He had already seen the power of God demonstrated and here he was calling on that same power to do it again. And they get to that third group. And he pleads for his life. And God had already done a work. He'd already made uh, provisions. And he said, Elijah, I'll take care of you. Now go ahead. And he shares with the king that you're not going to recover. That you're going to die. Number four. Reality is we're all going to die if Jesus tarries. One person said, life is precious, is it not? 
and life is brief at best. Listen to what scripture says about life. Isaiah 40 verse 7, the grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. James 4 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The picture here is a mist. Job 7, 7, oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. Psalm 102, verse 3, for our days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned like a hearth. And this picture of the brevity of life is so important that even in Peter's uh, epistle, all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. I imagine some of you have planted flowers in this crowd today. I, I did mine. And we got to the crescendo of the planting at our house, and it was this pot to put in front of the front door. We'd taken a flower that we'd received as a gift to be the center of it, and then we put little flowers around it. And I, I'm telling you, if you come to our house, it is going to impress you. We did that Friday. Yesterday, I thought I would look at the freshly planted flowers, and I got to that beautiful pot to impress our friends only to discover that the main flower in the middle looked so homely and so diseased and so bent over. I thought, Lord, I've never preached a plant funeral. <laughs> and I've watered that thing, and I hope when I go home that something that was withered is somehow standing up. Folks, the bodies, put your hand on your heart. That beat I just felt is one less than I'll ever get. Brother Greg, I don't like it when you talk about death. I don't like to talk about death. But I'm telling you, we're, I'm around it every week, and you are too. And sometimes the obituaries is somebody who lives well into their 90s. What a great long life. But sometimes there's an obituary of a, a child or a young parent. It's reality. That we're all going to leave and we're all going to leave something. And that's what a legacy is. And I want to close with this and I want you to hear it well. The greatest gift you can leave behind listen, is a forwarding address for your family. Amen. What are you saying, Brother Greg? That when I'm gone, Randy, you know where Dad is. Amen? That you know where I'm at. And I love my family so much, and I love my friends so much, I'm going to leave directions on how to get there. That is what we need to be thinking about. Uh, I, I received a picture today from uh, Bill Tyler, taken in 1994. It's on my desk. I, I didn't want to bring it to this service. And it was myself, my dad, and Albert Rudder. Picture that was in the newspaper. 
Holy cow. Puffy hair, dark hair, mustache. I thought, golly, have I aged. I was 33 when that picture was taken. This year I'll be 60. Where in the world? I appreciate your compassion right now at this point. <laughs> Where in the world, listen to me, has time gone? Where is time going? I do, listen, you might be here today and you're just struggling, battling to get through. I, I agree with my dad. Sometimes the days drag, but somehow the years fly. Where has time gone? What kind of legacy are you going to leave? You know, we, we sponsor a baseball team that two of our grandsons happen to play on. And you know how I tell you as a church, this is not your church. It's not my church. But I must admit, I, I do like when I ask them what team they play on, they say, your church, Papaw. What do I want to leave those boys? That he went to church every Sunday? Or that Jesus is the most important thing in our life? And because of Jesus, you can love people that don't love you. And because of Jesus, you can love that neighbor that doesn't agree with what you believe. Because of Jesus, you can work beside somebody and treat them with just much respect, whether they believe or not, because of the difference Christ has made in you. You don't look at the color of somebody's skin and decide if you're going to like them or not. Jesus loved me. I guess I can love anybody. And that's the good news. But the greatest gift you can leave behind is simply a fording dress to those coming. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you going to leave them joy before your departure? Or am I going to grow up to be a cranky old preacher? No. Let's, let's, let's start smiling a little more. Lighten up, man. Come on, man. Right? I mean, I mean, really, lighten up a little bit. Let's enjoy the journey. We know we're not perfect. We know our family's not perfect. We know the church isn't perfect. We know Camden's not perfect. But there's a Jesus who is. And when people are looking for the answer in the wrong place, let you and I just keep pointing them to the King of Israel, Jesus. That's who you're looking for. He's alive. Well, how do, I, how do you know he's alive? Because he lives within my heart. And let it be known that when you arrive at that destination, what a celebration it'll be. Anybody here believe that we'll know each other in heaven? Yes. Hey, the Bible says we'll be known as we're known. I'm not going to try to figure that out. I'm going to accept it and look for loved ones in heaven. Or maybe those loved ones will be looking for me. Is it because the king of Israel is dead that perhaps you've looked for the answer in Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies? Ekron, one of five Philistine cities that was kind of a place of commerce, an important place of the day. 
full of pagan worship? Is it because your God's dead? Oh, no. No, he's alive. And he's in the business of changing lives. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it. I want you to stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed.